Today we are going to be preparing for Thanksgiving by talking about gratitude. And then next week we actually enter into our Christmas series. And this year we're going to be following the themes of Advent. And Advent, for those of you who are unfamiliar with that word, comes from a Latin word. And it has to do with coming. So Advent is about anticipating and longing for, looking forward to the coming of Christ and what it means to prepare for his coming. Obviously, he has come and he has brought salvation, he's brought grace, he's brought forgiveness. But as uh, modern day Christians, we anticipate and look forward to his second coming when he sets up his kingdom on earth and he shall reign forever and ever. And the Hallelujah chorus just begins. So we're going to be looking at the themes of joy and peace and love and hope and looking at his birth as we uh, make our way toward Christmas. But today we want to talk about gratitude. And I want to do something today that I never do, so forgive me for doing this for those of you that this isn't your style, but I kind of want to set the table today for gratitude. I read a lot this week that was just very insightful and very uh, inspiring along the theme of gratitude and thankfulness. And so I want to give you some what may appear to some of you random quotes, but they all have to do with thankfulness and gratitude. And they don't necessarily tie into the message and the passages that we're going to look at today, but they really set our heart and they prepare us for thinking about what gratitude is all about and what it means to live with gratefulness. And so take them as they are. I'm, I'm not going to tell you who the quotes are by for the most part, unless it's somebody that you know, then I'll, I'll give them props. But um, uh, another um, thing I should mention is many of you are getting the sermon notes on a regular basis, small group leaders, people that are on the sermon team that like to kind of give input and in that. If you would like to get on that email, just email me and let me know. Hey, I can see you. You're actually <laughs> nice. And uh, I'll be happy to add you to that. But um, I love this quote, and it really is a good segue between our Better Together series and gratitude this morning. The person said, let us be grateful to the people who make us happy, to the people who bring us joy. They are the charming gardener, gardeners who make our souls blossom. And I thought, you know, that's our Hesed Agape community that we've been talking about. Those are the people that love us unconditionally, that extend grace to us, that are delighted to see us and be in our presence, and they are the gardeners who make our souls blossom as they bring us joy. I love that. Another person said, pride cannot easily grow in the soil of thanksgiving. And as we've been talking about the rich nutrients, spiritual nutrients that we need in our life in order to live healthy and not have toxic behaviors, uh, thanksgiving and gratefulness guards us against pride against narcissism and some of the things that we talked about. So how fitting that is. Uh, this person said, gratitude drives out the toxic emotions of resentment, anger, and envy. I love that. Gratitude is the, this, this, comes, this part here comes from Jim Wilder, who wrote uh, The Other Half of Church, which is a, a book that we drew a lot of out for the last series. But he says, gratitude is the first step to building joy into our lives. And we talked about joy being one of the transforming catalysts that leads to spiritual change. Some have called it the on-ramp to joy. It helps us to experience a more consistent attachment with God and with others. When we keep practicing gratitude with God, our brain remembers what our connection with Him was like, making it easier for us to find our way back to Him. 
And isn't that so difficult when we wander away or when we slip into sin or certain things that shame us? And sometimes it's tough making our way back to God, but as our mind can remember what it was like when he received us with open arms and when he extended forgiveness and unconditional love, it's easier to make our way back. Then he says this, which I thought was very profound. Quieting ourselves allows us to digest the joy that we build. I never thought about digesting and processing joy. Much like resting after a hard workout allows our muscles to rest and build new capacity. And that fits in very well with what I read from G.K. Chesterton this week. He said, people forget that the human soul can enjoy a thing most when there is time to think about it and to be thankful for it. And so as God is doing things in our life, as Brittany said, as we... uh, start becoming more aware of those moments where God is bringing joy into our life. And when we seize that and um, take advantage of that, all that God can do for us, how powerful that is. person said, gratitude is what separates privilege from entitlement. When it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or whether you take them with gratitude. None is more impoverished than the one who has no gratitude. Gratitude is a currency that we can mint ourselves and spend without fear of bankruptcy. I like that. There is hardly another quality that is so suited to reveal the state of our inner spiritual and moral health as our capacity to be grateful. Seneca The first century philosopher said, he who receives a benefit with gratitude repays the first installment on his debt. I like that, receiving things with gratitude. Anonymous quote, nobody really knows where it comes from, but it's very fitting. The worst moment for an atheist is when he is really thankful and has no one to thank I like this one. It's easy to be grateful for a bonus. What about being grateful for a salary? Ouch. If you're grateful, you act out of sufficiency and not scarcity. You're willing to share. And if you're grateful, you enjoy the differences between people and you're respectful to everybody. And that changes this power pyramid under which we live. I like that. The one who forgets to be thankful has fallen asleep in life. Finally, this one. Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It makes sense of our past, brings peace for our present, and creates a vision for tomorrow. So as we talk about gratitude today, I want you to know it comes from a Latin root. Uh, One of the roots is gratia, which means uh, favor. It also comes from another Latin root, gratis, which means pleasing. And those two are kind of t- combined. And, and all derivatives, meaning all words that come from these roots, have to do with kindness, generousness, gifts, the beauty of giving and receiving, or getting something for nothing. Every single one of us is familiar with getting a gift from someone that was completely unexpected and completely undeserved. And, and the joy that that brings us, the, the gratitude, the, the gratefulness and thanksgiving that that brings. 
something that is freely bestowed. The Greek word for uh, gratitude is actually the same word for the same Greek word for the word grace. And how fitting that grace and gratitude come from the same Greek word charis, charis. And the, the the message that screams at us is that before you can really have gratitude, you need to understand grace and you need to experience grace. Those who are ungrateful have not really understood the depths of God's grace and all that he has done for us and what it means to extend that to other people. Karl Barth, the famous Swiss theologian, said, Grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice and echo. Gratitude follows grace like thunder and lightning. I love that. Just reflexively, unconsciously, our instinctual response to grace is gratitude, a heart that is thankful and grateful. I want to look at Colossians 3 today as one of our passages, Colossians 3, 1 to 17. We're going to focus on the the end part of this today, but I want you to see it in context, beautiful passage, Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read today from the New Living Translation. The Apostle Paul writes these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4. When Christ who is your life, I love that, he wants you to remember, don't forget, you're dead, you have no life apart from Christ. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. That word reveal is the word apocalypse, which is the word from which we get our book Revelation. And Revelation, that last book of the Bible, is literally the global unveiling of God's judgment and glory. So when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. Verse 5, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. I love that. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Now, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of, to discard, to cast aside anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old nature, your old sinful nature, and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, for Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. 
Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you also must forgive others. Verse 14, and above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ, I actually like the New American Standard more here, let the word of Christ, so not just the message about him, the gospel, but the very person of Christ, let the word of Christ in all of his richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom, which he gives. Sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. One person said, Jesus wants our gratitude to increase more and more until like a holy flame it burns within us and we burst into songs and deeds of thankfulness to God and neighbor. Finally, verse 17, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Amazing passage here with uh, death and resurrection imagery throughout baptismal imagery throughout of being plunged beneath, uh, to put off, to leave behind, to cast, and to rise with a new nature and newness of Christ. I, I like verse 10, we are to put on our new nature and be renewed as we learn to know our creator and become more like him. And I was looking at the, the Greek for to put on, because what does it literally mean to put on? Does it mean to put on a garment like I put on clothes? Something Because that seems kind of superficial. It seems like something external that I can put on that masks who I really am. I can put on nice clothes all day and I can still be a wretch underneath. What does it mean to put on? It literally means to sink into. To sink into. It's, it's, it's more like, I've never done this, but I've always been fascinated by the people that, that restore a vintage car or truck. And oftentimes they will dip it. And in doing that, they take off all of the old layers of paint, all of the rust. They strip it down to the metal frame, and they call it a frame-up restoration. That is the kind of renewal that we're talking about here. We're not talking about just layering qualities of the Lord and, and new things in our life. We're talking about stripping us down to our raw, bare soul and letting Christ rebuild us in His image, according to His nature. That's the beauty of it. Well, at the end of this passage in Colossians, there's really three verses, 15, 16, and 17, that speak of powerful aspects of why we can be thankful and grateful. And I want to suggest that the first one comes in verse 15, and that has to do with Christ's reign. Thankfulness and gratitude is the result of Christ's reign. R-E-I-G-N, verse 15. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. You've heard me say before that that word for rule literally means umpire. Let God be the one who makes the call in your life. And at the end, we are called to be thankful. And I think about, you know, that, that verse that we, that we always talk about around Christmas time you know, uh, he's the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, and he's going to set up his kingdom, and he shall reign forever and ever. He will finally bring eternal peace to earth. 
and, and what a joy it's going to be to finally be under his leadership rather than the leadership of this world and the politics of this world. And what does it mean to surrender to that leadership and that sovereign rule right now and say, I am, I'm done making the calls. I am tired of messing up my life. You take control. You lead. You steer the ship. You guide my path according to your will and your plan for me to work out your purposes. That's being under the rule and the reign of the Lord. K. Arthur says, God is in control, and therefore in everything I can give thanks. Not because of the situation, but because of the one who directs and rules over it. Because God is sovereign over everything, even human sin, even evil in the world. He is not responsible for that, but he is able to work all things together for good because nothing hinders his divine plans and purposes. That's the nature of his power. I want to turn to Romans 1 for a moment, but I want to set it up as you're turning there. Romans is right after Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, 1 Corinthians, well, actually Romans before. So Acts, Romans. Um, usually in Romans chapter 1, we turn to this passage to talk about the extreme behavior that constitutes and signals the end times. And we kind of look at stuff in the world and go, man, we're there. Look at, look at this horrific stuff that's playing out in society today. We are, we are exactly where the Bible, we're in the end times. Or we grieve over the fact that people come to the point where they willingly start worshiping the creation rather than the creator who made it all. And we think, what, what a sad place to be. But I, I want you to look at this passage through different eyes today. I want you to look at what precipitates the behavior that's described in Romans 1. And I'm going to give you a clue and, and kind of spell it out before we even read this so you can see it with this lens. In verse 21, it says that the reason for all of this is because people come to a point where they are unwilling or they refuse to honor God. The word for honor there is the word doxa, glorify, from which we get our word doxology, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. They're unwilling to glorify God or thank God, I'm sorry, unwilling to glorify God or thank Him is the second thing. So they no longer thank Him, they're no longer grateful to Him, and they, they no longer thank Him. Those are the two things. Listen to what Paul writes. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. But God shows, literally that same word again, reveals, apocalypse, apocalypto, his anger. He reveals his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress, literally hold back or hinder the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God for he has made it obvious to them. That word is evident. It literally is the word that he has shown the truth in their lives. And, and John uses this word in his gospel. You've heard it. John chapter 1, verse uh, 3. I mean, verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Chapter 3 of John. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, namely Jesus, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And those who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. So here's the judgment that light has come into the world. God has made it abundantly clear and obvious and evident what the truth is. And even though they know it, they choose to reject it. 
Verse 20, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they know God, but they wouldn't worship or glorify him, doxa, as God, or even give thanks to him. The word give thanks is eucharisto, which should sound very familiar to the Eucharist. What? <laughs> What can we be thankful for if not the communion table that causes us to remember all that Christ has done on our behalf? So they wouldn't glorify or worship him or give thanks to him, Eucharisto. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. C.S. Lewis talks about this. You know, we create God in our own image. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused and deceived, claiming to be wise. Instead, they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere uh, people and birds and animals and reptiles. I like the New American Standard. It says in verse uh, 23 here that they exchanged the glory of God. They traded the glory of God for for corruptible things, birds, uh, human images, and so forth. Listen to the verbs in this passage. God is known, he is evident, he is clearly seen, and he is understood. But despite this, people suppress the truth, refuse to glorify him and thank him, choose darkness and deception, and exchange the object of their worship. Friends, we're messed up. We're messed up. Our problem is not that we don't know God, that we don't know the truth, It's that we don't want to surrender to it. We don't want to to acknowledge it. We've said that many times. That's that's the essence of what John says in 1 John. Uh, If we confess our sins, to confess our sins is to say the same thing about our sins as he says. To agree with him, homologia. To say the same thing about our sin that God says. To see it for sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins of all unrighteousness, and and to give us salvation. But these people have chosen to ignore the truth, suppress the truth, hinder the truth, and live life according to their own rules. Christian uh, Christian author and professor Steve Harper says this. He says, resentment indicates we're still trying to fill the emptiness with something that we think we deserve. Gratitude is the sign that God has filled the hole. So grateful people aren't trying to fill the hole with things that they feel entitled to and things that they feel they deserve. Grateful people have had that hole, that void filled by God, the the hole that only He can fill. And for them, God has become the hole, W-H-O-L-E, in whom we live and move and have our being drawing from Acts 17, 28, where the sermon there. The principle here, friends, is that we are what we worship. We become what we worship. And that is what is so significant about this, so powerful about this. It's not just that people switch the object of their worship from God, the creator, to created things. They also switch the image of their transformation 
from the creator God to lesser things. Because I, I become what I worship. And, and, and friends, this is the ultimate dehumanization of sin. Going from being created in the image of God to being created in the image of fallen creation. And worshiping that rather than the one who gave us life and breath and who sustains life and breath. That's the tragedy that's happening here. Worship of self is the heart, the core of ingratitude. Why would you give thanks to God when you glorify yourself? Everything I have is because I've worked hard, because I'm creative, because I'm disciplined, because you know, I'm smarter than the next person. Why would I thank God? I am responsible for everything good in my life. So if I worship myself, of course I'm going to be unthankful. Of, of course I'm not going to have gratitude. The two go hand in hand. Mark Buchanan, author and pastor, says, The heart of wickedness and godlessness is a refusal to glorify God. It's a refusal to thank Him. Exactly what we just looked at here in Romans 1. Tim Keller, in his book, Prayer, Experiencing On Intimacy with God, says this. He says, Cosmic ingratitude is living in the illusion that you're spiritually self-sufficient. It's taking credit for something that was a gift. It's the belief that you know best how to live, that you have the power and ability to keep your life on the right path and protect yourself from danger. And he says that's all a delusion and a dangerous one. We didn't create ourselves, and we can't keep our lives going one second without God's upholding power. Yet the Apostle Paul says that we hate that knowledge, and we repress it or suppress it. We hate the idea that we're utterly and completely dependent upon God, because then we would be obligated to Him and wouldn't be able to do as we wish. That's the real issue. We know the truth, but we know that acknowledging the truth means we have to surrender to it and obey it, and we'd rather just do our own thing. And so we spiral in sin. And as I said, dehumanization, because we go from being created in God's image to being created in the image of what we, we worship and lust after. Well, thankfulness and gratefulness results not only from Christ's reign and rule, but also from his indwelling. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Is that not what Jesus promised in John chapter 14, verse 23? The one who loves me, the one who loves me and keeps my words, my Father and I will love and we will make our dwelling place, our abode inside of them. That just blew the mind of a first century Jew, that God didn't dwell in a temple that only the high priest could enter, but God would enter human hearts and dwell within, that there would be that kind of access to God. I love what A.A. A. Milne, the, the author of Winnie the Pooh, says about Piglet in one of his books. He says, Piglet noticed that even though he had a very small heart, he could hold a rather large amount of gratitude. I said, friends, that's exactly us. We have extremely small hearts, but the indwelling of Christ transforms and enhances our capacity for gratitude. On our own, left to our own human nature, we're very ungrateful people. 
But when, when Christ comes and dwells within, our capacity for gratitude is enhanced. It's, it's, it's magnified. How powerful that is. Thirdly, thankfulness and gratitude results from Christ's glory or his glorification in our lives. Verse 17, and whatever you do or say, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In the name of is really a phrase that means for his glory, meaning that whatever we do, we're doing for him and not for us. Colossians 3, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, not as, as unto men, as unto people, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive your reward. Whatever we do, we don't do it for ourselves. We don't do it to be seen and, and, and um, to look important or special. We do it as unto the Lord. And remembering is the heart of what it means to glorify God. As we remember, we glorify God. Thanks and thanksgiving in the Old Testament are paired together at least 18 times. And... Um, the word for loving kindness, as we said, is hesed. It's a word that we've talked about, our hesed agape community. Hesed is God's unconditional love, his mercy, his favor. It's that word in the Hebrew that cannot be translated by one single English word. And thankfulness and loving kindness, or hesed, are paired together 18 times in the Old Testament. Meaning that when you experience God's hesed, mercy, unconditional love, favor, and grace, the response is thankfulness. It's just, it's an automatic. In his book, Gratitude Works, psychologist and gratitude expert Robert Emmons draws an important connection between the practice of gratitude and memory. He says, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is a great example. Do this in remembrance of me. Gratitude is about remembering. And if there's a crisis of gratitude in contemporary life, as some have claimed, it's because we are collectively forgetful. We've lost a strong sense of gratitude about the freedoms we enjoy, our indebtedness to those who lost their lives in the fight for our freedom, and an appreciation for all the material advantages that we have. Furthermore, we don't even realize that we have become forgetful because we can't remember a time when we were different. Friends, that's exactly what God told the Israelites throughout Scripture to, to remember, and they remember by recounting the stories of God's faithfulness. And Psalm 78 is a great example of that, but how will the generation yet to come know about God's faithfulness and His good works in the past? By us telling the stories and rehearsing those to our children so they can tell their children so that the generation yet to come might never forget the faithful deeds of God. His Hesed. Grateful people draw on positive memories of being the recipients of benevolence, a giftedness that is neither earned or, or deserved. The scriptures and sacraments of faith traditions inculcate gratefulness by drawing believers into a remembered relationship with God and with members of their faith community. Part of being grateful is remembering. Remembering and never forgetting what God has done. I want to land the plane and kind of draw this to conclusion, but um, I found this guy named Meister Eckhart. Mark probably knows him. Mark's our resident theologian here. He was a 14th century German theologian. He said this powerful quote. He said, if the only prayer that you ever said 
was thank you. That would be enough. Let's keep it easy. If the only prayer that we ever utter is thank you, Lord, that's enough. Rather than give me this, give me that, change this, change that, fix this, fix that. No, God, just thank you. Thank you for everything in my life. Thank you for everything you're doing, precisely the things that I don't even understand or see. Thank you that you were working all things together for good. Thank you that you are the one true ruler of this universe. And thank you that you're coming again for me. You know, just thank you, thank you, thank you. William Law, an 18th century English priest, said to be always in a thankful state of heart before God is not to be considered a high plane of spirituality, but rather the normal attitude of the one who truly believes that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Gratitude results from the conviction that God is always working all things together for good for us and for his purposes in this life and in this world. Powerful. Closing story. Tracy Otler's life changed in a very unexpected way on Thanksgiving Day, 1993. Tracy was a single mom living in her apartment in a rough neighborhood. She was doing her best to raise her three-year-old while preparing for the birth of her second child. At, the point, at, at that point, eight months pregnant. Living off of welfare and on food stamps, her Thanksgiving dinner would certainly not be the feast that many other Americans were preparing for. Hers would primarily be comprised of canned food. While staring at the canned food on her shelf, Tracy heard a knock at the door. Who could that be, she wondered. She wasn't expecting any company, no friends, no family would be joining her or her three-year-old. As she opened the door, she was greeted by a man from a local restaurant holding a full Thanksgiving meal given to her by an anonymous donor. Tracy was so surprised that she spent the rest of the day crying. But more than anything, she wanted to know who had given such a thoughtful gift. Years went by and Tracy still hadn't figured out who had provided the mysterious Thanksgiving meal. After a period of time, she was able to move out of her apartment and she began working as a nurse at the nearby hospital. Seven years later, an elderly woman named Margot appeared at the hospital. She had lived in the same apartment building as Tracy all those years back, and it was clear that she didn't have long to live. As Tracy greeted her, Margot took her hands and drew her close and whispered, Happy Thanksgiving. In that moment, Tracy knew who had given her the Thanksgiving dinner. She would never have guessed that Margo, the unassuming neighbor with multiple sclerosis, had been behind that generous meal. That one gift had a massive impact on Tracy's life. Moved by the anonymous donor's generosity, Tracy had purposed in her heart to do generous things for other people. The very day she got off of assistance, she took a basket of gifts to the welfare office to be handed out to anyone in need. The welfare officer was stunned. Who does something like that? And that was just the beginning. Friends, gratitude comes from acknowledging and appreciating all that God has already done for us through Christ. Realizing that, acknowledging that, and appreciating that. James says in his letter, New Testament letter, every good and perfect gift comes down from God. 
from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. And we all know that this life is hectic, it's stressful, it's crazy, and there are times where it seldom makes sense. But if we allow God to pull us close and hear the whisper of happy Thanksgiving in our ears, we realize that everything good in this life, he's the anonymous donor. He's the one who is constantly filling us with gifts that go unappreciated because people claim them for themselves and don't realize that he's the giver of every good and perfect gift. And the question I want to end with today is, do you know him? And, and more than if you, if you know him is, does he live within? Have you invited him to take up residence in your heart? And I, I pray and hope that if you've never done that, you'll, you'll talk to me after the service, or you'll talk to somebody, a friend who brought you, or somebody that you know, because there is no greater way to be thankful and grateful in this life than to have a relationship with the Creator and to know that every good thing that we enjoy and benefit from comes from Him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word on gratefulness and thanksgiving. God, we acknowledge that it comes from your reign in our lives, Lord God. It comes from you being on the throne. It comes from your indwelling. God, it comes from you, all of it. And we want to live as your representatives, not only grateful for all that you've given us, but extending that gratitude and thankfulness into the lives of others and sharing out of our abundance, Lord God. God, I pray that today we would acknowledge that in our, in our giving. And whether we do so here physically or online, that we would understand that the gifts that we give today are not just for this church and for the ministries here, but for this community, for the agencies and the organizations that we support and that we partner with, and for our missionaries around the world that are spreading your gospel message and furthering your kingdom. God, may we give with that sort of anticipation. And God, as we look forward to your coming, as we celebrate Advent, as we march toward Christmas, Lord God, may we quiet ourselves, may we slow down, and soak in all that you are and all that you've done. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.